amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us today for Live Dharma Sunday. Please note that if you have called in to listen to today's broadcast, that all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you're listening from any of our Bright Dawn sites, note that it is not necessary to call in. You may have to wait a second or two for the loading and buffering process to complete, but if there is still no audio, please refresh your page. For more information about Bright Dawn and its activities and links to our social media sites, please visit brightdawn.org. Once again, thank you for listening to Live Dharma Sunday and enjoy the talk. Welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for September 20th, 2020. Koyo Gobose here, so very, very glad you joined us. Well, September 20th, 2020, three twenties in a row. <laughs> well, I don't know what that means. Uh, uh, I just finished working on a computer. Um, September 20th, uh, today is the first day for LM14A and LM14B to start in their first class um, session in our lay study program. Uh, our designation of new groups of students is just, we just numbered them, you know. So the first group was LM, lay minister one group lm2 well lm1 let's see now they must have this started in 2006 i believe and uh yeah because it's 14 years that's right so now we're on our 14th group to start our lay ministry study program and um they we they of course they meet weekly and they have a discussion group so we so we have a, a maximum number of students in each class uh, and if there's more than more students uh, to fill up more than one class well then we got A and B and this year we have seven students in A and seven students in B. And it's the 14th group to start. We always start in 
a new group in September, and the program lasts, I'm not sure, something like 80 weeks. They meet every week. Um, so it's almost, uh, turns out to be almost a two-year program, okay, given the breaks. We have a few breaks in there and so forth. But otherwise, uh, every Sunday, boom, they uh, they they made the uh, heavy uh, sweat equity <laughs> commitment, and bam, they go, and it's kind of it's very exciting, you know. As any teacher knows, uh, when a new term starts, a new class, it is exciting for them as well as for the students. Uh, well, as I was writing some instructions, because uh, each uh, course in our study program curriculum has a host facilitator that moderates uh, each session, and um, they are volunteers from our past uh, lay ministers who have completed the program. I put a call out and who's interested in serving as host. Okay. Uh, so we got them all lined up and uh, I have to uh, write what I was working on this morning is writing out the instructions for the host, you know, um, letting them know uh, what the, uh, each course um has a coordinator as well as a host. Okay, the host is for each uh, course, and there are—I don't know how many courses we have. You know, the whole whole mission, the whole purpose of the lay program is to—I um, don't say expose, but to familiar for students to learn about. Reverend Gilmay Kubosa's approach to the Dharma teachings. Okay. Sometimes when you say expose the students to this kind of material or something, it sounds like they're being exposed to a virus. <laughs> uh, so, of course, our whole mission was to uh, promote my father, Reverend Gilmay Kubosa's approach to the Dharma and cover all the books that he has written and uh, sutras that he has translated and uh, base the curriculum on that. And uh, Bright Dawn, of course, is the translation or meaning of Gyome, which Reverend Haya Hakegarasu, my father's teacher, gave him that Dharma name, Gyome, okay, Bright Dawn. So that's where our name of our religious education organization's name came from. And it relies on prior uh, uh, graduates uh, who have been, we use the word inducted as lay ministers, not ordained. What is the concept of a lay minister anyway? Usually you have ministers, separate category, and then you have the lay the congregation or members who whom they the ministers serve, but when you, when you know and there's usually a strong gap between the two, and in fact, it's when you think about it, it's kind of interesting because 
the minister, say, of a congregation is a spiritual teacher of the congregation. And at the same time, he or she is an employee of the congregation. You know, in Japan, there are several different types of temples. And some temples are more, uh, could be put into the category of being tourist places. Roanji or, you know, uh, they become famous for being a tourist place. Places, that, um, uh, they might be independent, small temples that are owned and run by a particular family. Huh? It may be affiliated with some big headquarters, but the temple itself is owned, and you know there's a the head minister. Uh, it's a family business, okay. Um, and uh, this is uh, interesting when you come to say America, where you. Uh, there's a board of directors. Okay? The whole legal setup, financial setup is is different than a family-owned temple in Japan. You know, it's like a family business in a sense. Okay, and just passed on in the family. But here, when we have the more sort of modern. Board of Directors type of uh, organizational structure, well, the the congregation spiritual leader, spiritual, is their employee, employee. That's a pretty unhealthy relationship when you think about it. Because some, especially when there's a large organization and the, uh, many temples, uh, you know, and Ministers are trained, and then they're assigned to a temple. And, you know, say like, a, you know, big church like a Unitarian Church or something, and they have a national organization. They have, uh, and ministers may get assigned, and they get transferred, and they move around to different churches. Okay. Now, this means that... Uh, Sometimes it's not unusual, say even in the Buddhist churches of America, for maybe um, the minister to serve a congregation for a few years, maybe five years, and then he's assigned to another uh, temple in the, you know, like BCA has what, I don't know how many dozens of temples scattered on the West Coast and also one in Chicago and New York and uh, Cleveland and so forth, okay? And if uh, um, ministerial assignments, that's a big problem. Supposing they don't get along with the congregation or the congregation writes to the bishop and says, hey, we want another minister. He's not working out, you know? Um, uh, this is, uh, you know, and so... Maybe the minister is um, mobile and he he's, he's an employee and he's only going to stay at a given temple for maybe so many years. Could be as short as five years. Okay? And whereas the congregation members, some of them are old timers. That's their church. They've been there for 40 years. They've been leaders. 
And uh, if a hotshot young minister comes in and wants to make a lot of changes, well, he, he better be careful. Uh, might ruffle some feathers, you know. Uh, well, as I said, I was uh, writing some hosting instructions for our hosts who are uh, facilitate uh, our our courses. And I was thinking about, um, do you remember the book Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance? Robert Persig, I, be, I believe, was the author. I may be mistaken there. Uh, and uh, it wasn't much about, as he says in his forewords, it's not much about Zen. It's not much about motorcycle maintenance either. Kind of unusual book. But the reason I mention it is because I, I'm pretty sure somewhere it said that the author, his uh, uh, livelihood was as a writer writing instructions. You know, maybe you get something, uh, uh, you get a new piece of equipment or a tool or a household item, and it tells you how to put it together. Okay. Uh, he was a specialist in that kind of writing, okay. to be orderly and, you know, logical in terms of do this and then do that and then you do this, okay, to write clear instructions on, you know, how to put something together, you know, okay, the flow of it in the right order and so forth, what's important, etc. So I sort of was reminded of that when I was telling, giving this instructions for a host. Okay. I said, well, <clears throat> sort of like orientation type things. Well, here's, here's the uh, structure of our format of our cor- uh, curriculum courses and program and, Okay, here's here's what a host has to do. Okay, uh, here's what a coordinator has to do, and um, uh, you, you try to be very uh, logical, I guess, okay. uh, in what they're supposed to do, uh, and it, and recommendations. Uh, you want to foresee any particular problems that might come up, and you know. Uh, mention them to preclude, okay, and things will go smoothly. Okay. Uh, I'm just looking at the instructions because I just printed them out and I just, you know, kind of uh, organized them just a few minutes ago, and uh, it was very informative to me as the as the founder that established this study program well what are we about what's going on okay is there any way we could improve things okay i gotta reflect upon the educational experience or influence it provides and and uh, how best to do things and you know everything in life is a work in progress in some fashion you don't want to be closed off you know what? What association just triggered in my mind just just this past second? Uh, beginner's mind, expert's mind. Shinru Suzuki's classic book. You know, then mind, beginner's mind. Well, he says, uh, beginner's mind, fresh, open. 
expert minds, well, doesn't have to be, but usually the expert minds kind of closed off. He knows how to do things. It's set. And and that's okay. That's valuable, you know, except when it's not. When their uh, problem-solving situation calls for out-of-the-box thinking, then a lot of times the the beginner, beginner in a certain sense of the word, he still has the background and qualifications to appreciate the problem. Okay. Uh, but it requires a new solution. The established modes of attacking similar problems does not work. Okay. So there's these trade-offs. Okay. Where knowledge is very valuable. But sometimes that that knowledge itself is what interferes with seeing a new, fresh way of looking at something. Okay? This is a tremendous conundrum of life. Okay? Well, <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Um, <clears throat> hmm. uh, let's see. You know, the, the the relation, the attitude of the students, the attitude of the hosts, okay? Uh, if, you, if you're not skillful in communicating certain things, uh, the, the, the host, I tell, we tell the host, uh, you're not a teacher. Don't, don't label yourself that way. And we try to tell the students, too. Your host is, has been explicitly told not to be a, a teacher, a source of authority. Okay. And, uh, you know, something like this is hard to communicate because uh, teacher-student thing is so ingrained in our educational culture. Okay. Uh, the student knows and shares and student learns. Okay. Um, but in our program, uh, there's no teacher role. We tell the host okay, the only teacher-like thing that they might serve to the students is to be a role model of sincere studentship. Okay. His job is not to criticize, correct, or suggest, uh, you know, uh, hey, as a teacher, you know, as a teacher host, uh, I I say, you know, this might be helpful, that might be helpful. No, we say you you read the students' reports to see what's in there to help your own spiritual growth, and that's the best kind of role model you could you could be. Okay, and sometimes it's just. The student feels, oh, geez, the host, or he probably would say, oh, the teacher, he's not, you know, he doesn't answer my questions. He's not providing me guidance. And the whole role of uh, spiritual growth, uh, the orientation is crucial. How can you, (laughs) I love the saying, well, 
How can you go south when your cart is facing north? Most of the time, orientation is just something that people, the students, and maybe even the teachers or the hosts consider perfunctory and say, uh, you know, come on, let's get to the meat. Yeah, okay. Get the orientation over and and so forth. But um, not so, not so. Yeah. Uh, so we try to tell uh, the host instructions, so forth, and as well as well as important logistical information about you know we use uh, the Ning site and uh, how the written reports get uh, uh, posted and and how to smoothly keep the machinery uh, of the curriculum and course format going. Okay. Um, and as students, uh, what happens when this happens? Okay. Over 14 years, we know that there are certain places where, oh, it might be pretty common. People will forget about this, even though they were told or, you know, it was written in some orientation materials. This kind of thing may happen. Okay. So you try to, uh, you know, be prepared for those kinds of uh, things and and uh, makes everything make go smoothly okay uh so this was so i i was thinking about this in terms of one's own spiritual journey too huh write your own handbook for your own, you know to guide yourself sort of like you got an inner teacher and an inner student all wrapped up in one and you could take the role of one or the other sometimes if it's to the benefit of your spiritual growth. Okay? This is this is important in our Western culture because we don't have the traditional teacher-student, actual teacher, physical teacher-student kind of, you know, vertical relationship in the West. We pride the horizontal, egalitarian equality, you know, and so forth of this. But at the same time, there is trade-offs. If the student doesn't respect the teacher in the sense of, ah, I'm just as good as that person and so forth and so forth. Uh, 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 sorry, Charlie, uh, you're going to have a rough time, okay? both the teacher and the student. Uh, well, I'm just looking here to see whether there's some interesting things that I might be able to share with you, but uh, I can't concentrate looking at all all these, what I wrote and everything. Uh, but I do want to uh, uh, share that the value of these kinds of uh, instructions, okay? like I mentioned, Robert Persig, you know, his, his specialty was writing instructions of how to, you know, use tools or put together some something uh, well your spiritual journey your spiritual growth is sort of a uh, situation problem solving situation or you know how to do things okay you don't want to do step two before step one uh, you know a lot of people when they get something <laughs> something there's kind of a guy thing of don't ever, we don't we don't read no instructions. 
we don't need no stinking instructions to put this thing together. Okay. They take it as a manly challenge to look at it and say, you know, do it without reading the instructions. Eh, it might work. Sometimes it might not. Okay. Uh, well, well, something to think about. Okay. I want to introduce our guest to give us a Dharma glimpse today, Jared Shoyo, and he lives in Utah, and he was part of our LM12 group. Okay, you're on. Greetings, senseis and sons. This is Jared Shoyo Anderson. And for the Dharma glimpse, I would like to share David White's poem, To Break a Promise. A provocative title. I feel like in this time of upheaval and disruption and invitation, it's important to re-examine the promises we have made to ourselves and to others and re-evaluate them and engage in the living conversation of our past, present, and future selves, which is no self and flowing self. To break a promise, Make a place of prayer, no fuss. Just lean into the white brilliance and say what you needed to say all along. Nothing too much. Words as simple and as yours and as heard as the bird song above your head or the river running gently beside you. Let your words join one to another the way stone nestles on stone, the way water just leaves and goes to the sea, the way your promise breathes and belongs with every other promise the world has ever made. Now, let them go on. Leave your words to carry their own life without you. Let the promise go with the river. Have faith. Walk away. (laughs) Thank you very much. Uh, I'm trying to... I ha- I had an association and I'm trying to write it down before <laughs> before I lose it. Um, give me a second, give me a second, please. Uh, let's see. Um, something to do with promise. Uh, how to follow up on something when you have an idea about something, uh, and if you make a promise. Uh, to yourself, huh? um, this might be some something similar to, well, to a vow. Uh, a vow is has a much stronger connotation than a promise. Okay. Uh, now. And of course, I think there's a there's a big difference when when you have a vow. A vow means, I would say, uh, usually it's a, a more personal thing that involves oneself. I vow to, you know, I'm gonna be a better person or something. Whereas a promise probably is made to someone else usually. And of course, children always are asking adults, their parents. You know, for something, and 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 they they always want it now, but supposing they say, "Well, you gotta wait." 
and they and they you know they somehow intuitively know well well hey now later is not now so they have to say do you promise do you promise that I'm going to get to do that or you're going to you know <laughs> say yes yes I promise okay and uh, uh, woe to the adult or the parent or the teacher that breaks a promise. Um, to children, to students, uh, if a promise is broken, this is one of the great lessons of life. Uh, who's at, well, who's at fault, or what's the reason? Promises or vows are broken. Um, that that's a important question. Okay. Not because you, you you want to necessarily know who to blame, but you want to understand life. Things change, conditions change. Okay, it's not a closed system. New variables come in. New factors arise. Uh, one of the most valuable things I learned was in an interfaith retreat uh, for the weekend. It was at the Saint on uh, Saint John's campus, uh, not Saint John's in the in the uh, East Coast. Uh, it, this was uh, the college in in Minnesota, and we were using their facilities. Uh, the organizers of this uh, uh, interfaith retreat. And it was a pretty small group, maybe about 20-something ministers, rabbis. And uh, it was an interesting uh, retreat. We stayed in in the dormitory. And the dormitory is very well organized. A very small cubicle for each individual. Okay. And uh, there was a uh, the uh, bathroom was shared on the other side by another small cubicle. Okay. I mean, a small cubicle, okay. a little desk, bed. That's it. And that's all you need. Okay. And then two of those units. In between them was the was the was the bathroom. Okay. That was the physical facilities, and uh, uh, the organizers they, they had interesting concepts and several several uh, meanings. Uh, one was they didn't have any content, and they had no theme, no no topics. They said, we're going to, this is what we're going to do. What do, what do you want to do? <laughs> you know? Uh, from each, uh, I guess, a, well, you might call it uh, diocese or parish. Uh, so for, from Chicago area, uh, through, I guess through their contacts, whatever, they said, wow, we want one Buddhist, okay, and one Catholic to to represent. 
you, you so that they're paired and they, uh, from a certain geographic place, and we went. And uh, so there was a Hindu lady, and during one of our group discussions, uh, she brought up uh, a tremendous teaching that has influenced me. Been a very, uh, been a crucial value to me. Okay, and then this was you know, this is not a presentation or anything. We're just talking in a group, and he goes. She says, person, place, and time. Uh, things depend on person, place, and time. When it comes to human beings living life, when it comes to expectations, when it comes to opinions, to values, uh, truth, uh, it depends on person, place, and time. Uh, of course, it depends. Something, uh, the truth of something or the value of something is different for different people. Of course. Okay. That's, she didn't say PPT. You know, <laughs> that's my, my acronym abbreviation. Okay. Person, place, and time. Place, of course, what's appropriate in one situation is not appropriate in another. You act one way when you're just hanging with your friends or if you're at a formal gathering and time. What was of value at one time in your in an individual's life may be very different or vice versa later on too. Okay. Or in a culture. Okay. The the morals or mores of things in society well, depend upon time. Things happen during time, of course. And values change. Customs change. What was forbidden, what was taboo a few decades ago is just commonplace now. Uh -huh. Cohabitation, for example. But, you know, so many years ago, it, it was a scandal. Now no one blinks an eye. So-and-so living with so-and-so. Okay. Uh, person, place, and time. Man, that's right understanding, isn't it? Uh, if you want to talk about the first of the Eightfold Noble Path, uh how we handle challenges, obstacles in life. Uh, yeah, that's the, that's the first noble truth right there. Hey, of course, you know, you say life is suffering, but <laughs> well, problematic. Not, not so much suffering, which is psychological, but, you know, pain is physical. Okay. Sometimes, <laughs> some teachers, maybe it's kind of provocative, but they'll say pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Uh, <laughs> well, how to deal with so-called obstacles when you want, you have a certain goal, eh? 
could be something simple like, well, you gotta you gotta make a meal. Yeah. Uh, some chore. What's the best way to do it? If you start your analysis, okay, which which could be something like motorcycle maintenance, or it could be like writing instructions. The art of how to do something, how to accomplish something, okay, where it might not be a formal goal okay, of someone, uh, but you could, uh, with that analysis, look at a lot of things like that. Okay? And when it does come to things like one's feelings, one's you know opinions on things, you get into all kinds of trouble if you're, well, so-called attached. Okay. Uh, what does it mean to let go and grow? What does it mean that if you don't let go, you're going to be dragged? <laughs> One of our family, extended family members, loves that saying, let go or be dragged. And she has it inscribed on a on a bracelet. Okay. She heard that someplace, and she just loved that teaching. Okay. Uh, attachment, non-attachment, uh, how to untangle that that kind of a teaching. You could you could you could misinterpret it. You could misuse it too, you know. Okay. Um oh, you mean attach non attachment? Okay. They get confused with being detached, not caring about something emotionally. Of course not. Uh-huh. Uh there's a lot of uh Things involved when, as my father would say, oh, gee, I didn't realize some people get attached to the teaching of non-attachment. That's a good place to end, I think. That's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going, and you have a beautiful day. Thank you. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.